Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Ah, how are you? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, the week is uh, going, just going. <laughs> it is going. <laughs> it's Mark. Yes, it is Mars. It is. Yes. It has recently come to our attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's time for Mark. Uh, well, not to start on necessarily a sad note, but, um, you know, we do like to do that occasionally, just start things <laughs> off, sure. sadly. Uh, this week, Rico Browning passed away. He played the creature from the Black Lagoon in the underwater scenes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Ben Chapman had played the creature on land, but uh, Rico did those incredible... Uh, Underwater sequences that really add to the film, obviously. And so, yeah, he passed away this week at, gosh, I think it said he was 93. Oh, wow. Yeah, 93, which is incredible. Uh, you know, us spooky folks, I, I think we get to live longer. <laughs> yes. By natural causes or supernatural causes. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, the more you try to uh, scare folks and succeed, the more life you get. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, but that was sad news this week. Obviously, we did back uh, last summer, we did our dive into uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. and I read The Lady from the Black Lagoon, so I was just, you know, just one of those things where I was like, oh, that's sad. So just, you know, shout out to all the Creature fans. Uh, you know, we share... We share this uh, morning together. <laughs> yes. Uh, what else has been going on? What did you do this week? Um, not not much. Just you know, working. Yeah. Working working a new job. I got That's a new right. job. That's right. That's right. You moved to a, a new a new position. A new position in a different organization. There we go. Um, uh, I'm working. A, I work at a nonprofit now. Look at her. She's uh, a non-prof. Yes, yeah, she's not. She's a non-pro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, just you know, learning new stuff, and um, it's a queer nonprofit. Yeah. So uh, that's been really fun. Yeah. It's just like learning everybody, and I've uh, the office that I'm in. I share with uh, four other people. And apparently this office is the spooky office. Cool. They, this office goes all out, decorates for Halloween. Every, like, you know, people in there love the movies and stuff. So um, I feel like I've come home. That's lovely. And see, if you would have never done this, you would be outside of that. I know. You know? I'd be like, what is going on? <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's a nice little uh, serendipitous Yes. Thing. Well, you know, well, thank you. Thanks to Dr. Heather Petrocelli for telling us that, you know, for proving that uh, queer people have this inherent culture of <laughs> queer horror. <laughs> yeah, I think she's helping to uh, show, you know, that it was always here. Yes. You know, she's revealing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, we, we in the know, we of the, we of the horror queers have always known. Yes. <laughs> Uh, we've no, already cool. we've already been new. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, exactly. That's exciting, though. I'm very happy for you. It's great that you have a new position. Hopefully, it leads yeah. to uh, more happiness for you. I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
Uh, what did I do this week? It's just been kind of a blob week. You just you, you know, I'm just in the drudgery of school and just trying to get through all the mm-hmm. assignments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, planning for my travel that's upcoming and yeah. Um, I did go see Cocaine Bear. Ah, which I tried to get you to come to, but you had some gay bullshit planned, so uh, yes, you went I to did. that instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. It was a, it was quite a ride, I would say. Mm-hmm. I um, I enjoyed it. Like I thought it was fun. I laughed. I'm not sure if it's really is the kind of thing that maybe we would cover on this show. Although I do have to say, a lot of the advertisements and like the conversation online has been like, you know, there's never been a movie like this. It's like it's its own new genre, and I'm just like, have these people never seen like? all kinds of different movies. Yeah. Like, uh, I was looking at a list. I was like, yeah, Jaws, Arachnophobia, Snakes on a Plane, Lake Anaconda, Cujo, The Birds, Tarantula, Them, Zombievers, Black Sheep. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I don't think it's really breaking a lot of new ground. If, if anything, it is the, it's like the scream of animal attacks movies. Like it's super aware <laughs> of what it's doing. It's very meta. Very meta. Uh, I I would say it, it's firmly tongue in cheek. Knows what it is. Super super fun. But yeah, I just really kind of bulked at the idea that it was like creating something new. I'm like, no, these kind of movies are like as old as you get. Like, yeah. I mean, you go back to early like sci-fi and horror films, and you'll find, you know something's wrong with the animals and mm-hmm. they're uh, taking over. Uh, so yeah, I was watching it and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't really, I don't know if it can be overcomplicated. <laughs> like it's really just a movie about a bear uh, with that a does cocaine, cocaine habit. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Uh, I read, I think it was, um, cause Elizabeth Banks, is that her name? Yeah. Who was Effie in uh, the Hunger Games. And uh, I think she was Rita Repulsa in the Power Rangers. Yes, streaming. she was. Anyway, so she directed the film. Mm-hmm. And she talked about like, uh, you know, of course, the typical things that you talk about when it's like, oh, when nature kind of turns against us, or mm-hmm. um, this uh, this idea that this poor bear in the eighties or seventies or whenever the uh, the actual event happened, because mm-hmm. it is based upon facts, quote quote quote, <laughs> um, true events. Yes, true events where you know this bear did. I think I think the general idea of like the bags being dropped and being part of like the drug trade or whatever is, is true. And that the bag, you know, this bear did get into it and it died. Um, you know, it got, it Mm -hmm. was, you know, cocaine poisoned (laughs) basically. Um, and so her whole thing was like, well, like what if it didn't like, what if it didn't die and like went on a rampage because it's like, you know, an innocent bystander and like the war on drugs. (laughs) So she had this whole like heavy kind of, like idea about it uh you know and it's a mother bear uh so she has cubs and like so it's a whole like conversation uh going on in the movie i guess but um yeah i was just like even i i don't think i'm gonna try like i think it's i think you should watch it i think it'd be super fun with a big group of people i went with a big group of people people yelled at the screen and heckled it and whatnot um but at the end of the day, like, I mean, I laughed pretty hard. There were some really, really funny moments. Okay. I wouldn't say there was any, like, scary... I mean, there was a few, like, jump scary kinds of things. But it wasn't, like... it's. It definitely wasn't, like, terrifying or anything. Okay. And I don't even know if it was trying to be. Uh, yeah, but it was... It was, it was fun. 
I, I really enjoyed it. And I think it'd be fun to do, to watch here with like a group of people, get pizza, popcorn, you know, and sure. pair it with like, yeah, yeah, like Zombievers or some other really like eight-legged freaks, like just yeah. some kind of stupid animal movies, um, you know, or even something like more serious, like the birds or something, you know, like... I think it could be fun. I think Snakes on a Plane, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. Snakes on a Plane. Because it just tells you... I love a title that just tells you what it's about. That's right? true. Snakes on a Plane, Cocaine Bear. Like, yeah. it's very... This is what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's overall, I really enjoyed it. I would say at least the first 75% of the movie. The end got a little... Like, it got a little heavier and like deeper towards the end or oh. was trying. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, Oh, the tone shifted a little, uh, but overall I, I enjoyed it. And so mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend it for a fun night. It's certainly not, you know, some masterpiece, uh, cinema, but it was pretty funny. I mean, I laughed pretty hard at some of the moments. Plus just seeing people like, um, Margot Martindale is in it. She yeah. pops up. She's hilarious. Uh, that Jesse, what's his face? Jesse Taylor from, Ferguson. Yeah. From uh, modern family is in it in a really bad wig, like an offensively bad wig. Carrie Russell. Yes. Is that, she played, um, Felicity. Yes. But is that her, is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah. It's Carrie Russell. Jeez. But Carrie Russell and Margot Martindale were in the Americans together. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that TikToker guy who like does the, you know, retail yeah. videos. He was, he was pretty funny in it. He plays a paramedic. So, um, do you remember my friend Jake who did the, uh, From State Farm? Uh, no, my friend Jake, he, the, he lives in Baltimore. He did the Thwarp podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah podcaster yeah, yeah, yeah. fans. He went to college with that guy. Oh, wow. So he was like very excited. So I guess, uh, he posted a picture with him and some of his other college friends going to oh, the movies sweet. and like flipping off the camera, being like, fuck you for being famous. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, now I don't know if that's sweet or not, but I mean, it's it they is. gave some money up for the film, right? Yeah, it's so. sweet. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah. choose to believe it is sweet. There we go. Yes, we'll choose. It's that backhanded compliment, like you know, oh, you're so famous. Fuck you. <laughs> but I'm gonna post. I'm gonna tell everybody I know that I went to school with you. It's like I love you, but <laughs> fuck you. Like. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, that's kind of it for the week um you know cocaine bear i i would recommend it it was fun i would definitely mm-hmm. go when there was an audience the audience definitely made it more fun mm-hmm. yeah like horror is like that yeah so um obviously coming up this week is the release of the new scream movie scream six so mm-hmm. we'll definitely go see that yeah scream it does look like that. Screw out. That's what <laughs> the way they did the VI in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ashley and I went to see um, Ant Man, the new Ant Man movie. Oh, um, the Quantum Mania. Yeah. And the trailer came up, and we were just looking at each other, and, and she looked at me, and she was like, Scriavi? Scriavi. Uh, <laughs> so we had five cream, and now, now we have Scriavi. <laughs> it sounds it, it, like a Jalo film or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dario Argento presents Scriavi. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, so I figure we'll go see that, and you know, we'll tell the folks at home what we think, mm-hmm. our dear listeners. <laughs> that'll be fun yeah otherwise the only other thing i really watched this week well i have been kind of rewatching bates motel but that's because of a conversation at school um which reminded me we had a whole which i, I guess we'll talk a little bit 
when we get to the film we're talking to today, but we were sort of talking about mental health and horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the one of my cohort, one of the women mentioned Bates Motel, and I was like, "Oh yeah, man, I really enjoyed that show." So I've been kind of like throwing that on at night at bedtime, you know, just kind of watching it a little bit before I go to sleep. So it's nice. Wow. Uh, otherwise, I did finish uh, Heartstopper on Netflix. Mm-hmm. If if you've been following along uh, on the on the Patreon over there, we've been talking about Heartstopper last couple of weeks so we'll be wrapping that up thank yeah. the lord uh, but <laughs> you survived i did i survived the uh, my teeth are all gonna rot out from the saccharine <laughs> sweetness of it all but uh get you trulicity for your diabetes <laughs> yes exactly but uh yeah if you want to hear more of that conversation you have to join us over at patreon.com slash fright school uh so yeah you tortured me with that this week otherwise that was that was the week Real, real simple. Yeah. You're not watching Drag Race, so we can't really talk about that. And yeah, it's fine. I, it's not much to talk about. It's I I don't know. I honestly I'm just I'm okay like being kind of left out of the conversation with Drag Race it's all these right. days. I mean, I think I was just so oversaturated during the kind of height of pandemic. Yeah. It no, was I get it. Ex- escapist and yeah, and now we're de- dealing with all this. I mean, I don't want to get too into. I'm still trying to like figure out how you know we want to like talk about stuff, but uh, these massive backlash against like queer people that's happening, you know, all over the country right now is really terrifying. So I don't know. There's part of me that's like, yeah, maybe we live in. You know, we have kind of a bit of a privilege to be kind of over drag race because of where we live and the culture that we're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm trying to be a little, uh, you, cause places are like banning drag now and they're trying to, it basically it comes down, they're trying to attack trans people. That's what all this is about. It's very, very terrifying. After spending the last like eight weeks studying how like genocide happens and, uh, fascism and totalitarianism and how we, um, internalize it how it operates in society what's been happening lately is really terrifying to me it's very very scary Mm -hmm. so i feel i don't know it's just put me in a weird like mixed up place but you know if you know somebody who's queer or trans you tell them that you love them be an ally as best you can we're living in scary times folks yeah yeah Let's let's not let it let's not marinate on it. I know it's just yeah. So, anyways, it's just yeah. It's a really weird time. So, anyways, that's why we need we need more queer voices. So, <laughs> more more of us joining the conversation and talking about this stuff, um, especially for those of us who kind of live in like you know a bubble for now. Yeah. I feel like what I've been, what I've kind of replaced my viewership of drag race Mm -hmm. has been more to kind of support local Queens. That's true. Yeah. You've been very good about going to going to those sorts of events and all of that. Um, And I think what I love now is that like, you really, you really don't have to work too hard to find drag in our city being performed. Yeah. Yeah, Um, That's very true. And local Queens, like they, they're what they're what's keep it keeping it running. I went to a show in October that Lollarie was at, um, and Lollarie and Diabetti, and you know Diabetica, Diabetica. They were both the headliners, but 
at every point, anytime they were given the mic to talk, they talked specifically about like, hey, these are the girls that live in your city that have right. been up here. They're killing it. Like, please, thank you for coming out to see us, but you need to make sure that you're also coming out to support your local queens. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I like seeing that kind of support and seeing that conversation. Yeah. And it's like, it's very much like, you know, they are using their platform to help others succeed. Um, lift as you climb, right? What they say. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We just saw, you know, again, it's just very uh, bizarre you know, through the looking glass times we're living in. So just be, be vigilant, be safe, you know, all of that. Yeah. Just trying to be i don't know hopeful <laughs> hopeful I, yes i'm not used to this my um it's it's now nihilistic optimism or not <laughs> optimistic nihilism that's what it is that's the new that's the new thing it's no longer existential dread it's like yes things are going to you know we're all gonna die but we can have a little bit more hope along the way <laughs> yeah but but here's some cake eat some cake <laughs> yes 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 so that's yeah. the point of me making you watch Heartstopper. really is I love to that. Yeah. add more hope into your life yeah. yeah um or i don't know i think maybe resentment uh it's also bitterness in there. there we yeah. go all right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back to uh, chat about Gothica. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. So this week we are joining Miss uh, Halle Berry in the psychiatric penitentiary <laughs> for uh, 2003's Gothica. This movie has everything. So we're kind of <laughs> truly has everything. We're so we're transitioning out of. This is a nice. I think this is a good. Um, Transitional film because we, you know, spent the last couple weeks kind of examining, you know, you know, further expanding on what we've learned in horror noir and talking about mm -hmm. black horror and and uh, you know, sort of, you know, that that discussion we've been having. Sorry, my brain is like not working, uh, and so we're transitioning now into Women's History Month. So we're going to be the next couple weeks. We're looking at uh, some some. I don't know. I don't want to say necessarily feminist horror films, but always, you know, horror films with the feminist. We're applying a feminist lens, maybe. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna be looking. And so I thought this was kind of a cool film to be a really nice transition for those, uh, because I think that the film has some interesting. Again, sort of like the girl with all the gifts. Um, the fact that you, you know the the main characters in this film uh, or the main character in this film is a black woman, and then of course. Um, uh, Penelope Cruz as Chloe, like 
there is kind of an interesting conversation happening about not sure. only women, but also um, race in the film. So I thought this was kind of a nice, uh, nice transition into the next couple of weeks discussion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and because it's uh, women's history month, we are reminded that women have to do everything. So, <laughs> and this is one of those movies where, man, they're like, she's having to deal with it all. She's got to deal with, uh, her, she's, you know, she's a psychiatrist working in a penitentiary situation. Uh, you know, she's got her husband, she's got the demands of another coworker. Then she's got fucking ghosts showing up and serial killers. And like, she's just, everything that could possibly happen in a horror movie is in this movie. It's so yeah. packed with like <laughs> everything. So again, it's just another reminder that women really do just have to do everything themselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. That's the episode. Thanks for coming. Bye, everyone. Have a good day. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Joe. Uh, what did you think of your first viewing of La Gothica? Uh, I really liked it. I I really liked it. Um, I have an I I don't particularly enjoy movies like this where it's someone who is questioning the nature of their reality. Mm, yeah. Um, so I, I'm very doubtful to say that I would watch this again, but I like, I was wrapped the entire time. Also like, I love a murder mystery. Yeah. They were very explicit about the supernatural elements. Um, which was really good. Like it was giving hollow man. Like it was, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was giving hollow man. It was kind of like, it kind of reminded me a little bit of malignant. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, um, it was a good film. Um, I don't know why I got so much hate when it came out, but well, I, I mean, again, you know, I don't want to get too much into like a review territory. I do think there are some things in the film that kind of beggar belief. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, again, it is very dense. There's a lot happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there are some very questionable things, like as a mental health professional. <laughs> kind there's of like, like twenty minutes of no dialogue. Like it's just Holly Berry looking frantic. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is true. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So we could talk some of uh, as we kind of go along, but I think that. Um, you know, again, this is very... I saw this movie when it came out. It came out the weekend or week before Thanksgiving in 2003. So I had graduated. This was... I was in college by now. I was in my first stint in college. And I'm trying to remember... Because this is like... It's such a weird time in um, horror history that this comes out. Uh, because we have... Um, you know, Saw has yet to to hit this the the screen. That's still a year away in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like at the beginning of. I feel like, you know, as horror was kind of taking that turn towards like really, really, really dark stuff. Yeah, that was to come, especially out of like we've discussed this before. The Iraq out of War. 9/11, yeah, out of nine eleven, out of the Iraq War, you've kind of seen these really explicitly torturous horror films you have this like strange movie come out with like Halle Berry as like a psychiatrist who like kills her husband, but doesn't remember. And then there's ghosts and, you know, like I said, it was just, it was this very strange. And then uh, the ring had come out. When was that? 2001. 
Uh, 2002, I think. Or 2002. So it's kind of in that time where, and, and the grudge. So you had like these horror films being led by women, um, you know, and exploring a lot of very uh, complex, uh, like crimes against women. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, yeah, it's such a weird movie. So I'm not exactly sure why the backlash was so bad because I remember enjoying it when I saw it. I enjoyed it again, watching it today. I've watched it several times. I have it on, I own it on DVD. Uh, if we remember what those are, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I I like the movie I, again, but I can see why there are things that are like you know mm-hmm. problematic in it. Uh, but to kind of set it up, I, I think one of the reasons I really like this movie is it's kind of it reminds me of something like Hitchcock maybe would have made. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's got that kind of like Rosemary's Baby, you know, vibe or other. Like, yeah, like gothic. Because that's why I think it's called gothica. It's not necessarily, doesn't like, doesn't seem to refer to anything else in the film, like as we're talking. Yeah, I think I asked you, I was like, are they going to say what gothica is? And you're like, no. Yeah, I feel like it more captures a certain spirit. Something else, I did read that there was this idea of gothica with a C, I think, meaning like this, this idea of seeing things that other people can't. I don't know what that's mm-hmm. rooted in. I don't know if that's an old, like, mental health term that's kind of gone out of date. Like, you know, we used, like, depression used to be called melancholia. You know, like, that was yeah. something yeah. they treated, you know, like a, a deep melancholy. Um, you know, So I don't know if it's something that's, like, older. But that's what this evokes for me, which is one of the reasons I like it a lot. It's, like, dark and stormy. Uh, it's all blue, like that blue sheen over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it gives me, yeah, those sorts of, like, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, and or Gaslight or whatever, those kinds of movies. It reminds me of that. Sure. So that's one of the reasons I really like it. And of course, it also deals with, I mean, you know, you think about this movie coming out before like the Weinstein and like the Me Too movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have this film where again, like, I think it is very common in horror. We've discussed this. Like, you know, you have like the woman who's like, listen to me and nobody believes her. I mean, that goes back to, I mean, early films, yeah. but things we've talked about on the show, like Alien, like listen to the woman and her cat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like don't, you know. Um, so you have this like sexual violence going on in this penitentiary uh, and nobody believes them, of course. And that's a big theme of the movie is, you know, you can't trust someone who thinks you're crazy. Uh, so that's the, um, that's like, I feel the pervading theme throughout. Sure. And then as as we go along the movie, you're finding out different things about the male characters or other characters that really are true. Uh, but you know, she had to, she had to like go in, she had to be institutionalized, like to, you know, to to reveal the truth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If that, you know, is a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it was like again, it, it, like you said, it 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 evokes like a Hitchcock type thing. Um, it has like I think that Halle Berry is doing a very very good job as uh, Doctor Miranda Gray. Yeah, which like you gotta love that name, right? Like it's such a horror movie. Like, you know, Miranda. Her name is Miranda. Right. Um, have you ever read this book? Um, 
No. What John is- Foles, The Collector. So this mm-hmm. came out in 1960. And I couldn't find any. I looked this up a few times. Like, there's got to be somebody that's made this connection. But anyways, this book came out in 1963, originally. It was published. Mm-hmm. And it's about this uh, man. Um, oh, gosh. What is his name again? Uh, it's been a while since I read this. Oh, what is his name? I can't remember. Anyways. Maybe it's on the book jacket on the back. No, it doesn't even say like anybody's name. Anyways, so, but it's about this man. It's told, this book is told, it's from his perspective and then the this woman in epistolary, she's writing letters or keeping a journal, I think. Anyways, but it's about this guy who becomes fascinated with this woman, uh, Miranda Gray. And he kidnaps her and keeps her a prisoner. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's what the book is about. Um, and I, I really think that whoever wrote this, I feel like they had to have seen that or read the, read this. Yeah, uh, made book. the connection. Yeah, um, but when I looked online, I was like, I can't be the only person that's ever noticed that the lead character in the collector shares the same name. Like, I just felt like there had to be something there about. Um, you know, and, she, and he's, he's, he's trying to convince her that she, um, loves him, you know, so he's keeping her prisoner and he's like, I'm going to provide for you. He's like, I'm not, he doesn't assault her. He's like, that's not what this is about. It's just, I just want you to be chair. He collects butterflies and she's beautiful and he wants sure. to collect her and keep her. And that's like the whole thing is like, he, you know, he, she loves him and mm. he's like obsessed with her. And so that's what the whole like story is about. Um, so I just always thought it was interesting that it that this character, you know, it's kind of it's a similar sort of you know, it's the character's name, and then you know she's imprisoned. Uh, it's not exactly obviously an a- adaptation, but I just think there's some parallels uh, between sure. the between the stories. Sure, sure. The book is really weird, um, and it's another one of those books that a lot of times you see these kinds of criminals who commit these sorts of sexual violent, sexually violent acts or serial killers like they have a copy of this of that book it's a common it's a common one Mm -hmm. for them to have or that it gave them ideas or whatnot uh but anyways but her name miranda gray Mm. interesting i just wanted to uh, bring that up since you mentioned it but sorry go ahead if unless you totally lost the plot of what you were gonna say i'm sorry i just love (laughs) that you pulled that from your bookshelf and it's like oh here's this book that serial killers have and (laughs) you know I in the I've mind. actually probably owned that for twenty years. I think I bought it when I was eighteen or nineteen. Oh my god! Yeah, because the serial killer had it, or um, no, I don't remember why. I read. I don't remember why I picked that book up. Actually, I think I'd read. I probably did read it in reference to something. I probably did because that's the serial killer shelf over there. So I'm sure one of those things was like he owned a copy of the Collector, and I was probably like, "What's that?" It's probably true. <laughs> but it sits next to my copies of uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Fight Club. <laughs> Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a novel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I see it? Can I? Yeah. Oh, we're just... By Henry Farrell or Farrell. We are just like, you know... I know. We're just like off the rocker now, Joe. Um... <laughs> so I will talk... One of the other things that I like about this, which I actually was surprised that you didn't... Um, leap on to unless I'm sorry before we go was there another point you were going to make no about the name <laughs> you were just like Miranda Gray she just sounds like a psychiatrist yeah that just sounds like a horror movie name it really does it's just like Miranda no 
Um, okay. Well, anyways, one of the things, because last year when you took over the show for um, mm-hmm. a project, for your project, um, you talked a lot about Catholic horror, and one of the big things in this movie is the anima sola, which I, d- I thought came from, yeah, it's a Catholic symbol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was one that you didn't recognize. No, I had never heard of it before. I the only word, the only like thing I would know the word anima from is for the. There's a prayer called the anima Christi, which is like the blood of. It's like the sacred blood of Jesus. Um, type of thing, but I've never heard of the anima sola. Well, it's a big part of this. A movie, obviously, and I th- and it represents like several characters. Uh, so the anima sola is you, typically translates as like the lonely spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a very particular image of a woman uh, standing among flames, uh, eternally burning yet never consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought that. Uh, oh, and I like this: is her soul burning in the fire of hell, or does her heart burn with the fire of love? Uh, allegedly unrequited love is what drew this poor soul into her predicament. The anima sola traded eternal salvation for the joys of temporal love. She is invoked in only the most desperate love spells. So this is kind of bringing out other, other versions of, of uh, the anima sola in um, like magical traditions. But yeah, typically it's like a soul suffering in purgatory of some mm-hmm. kind. And so you have at the beginning of the film, Chloe, Chloe's obviously one version of yep. this anima sola mm-hmm. who is burning in a hell of, I mean, it's hard to tell exactly. Cause again, you know, the, the movie set in a penitentiary, a psychiatric penitentiary. So this is a place where people who have been declared um, incompetent to stand trial or mentally incompetent, uh, which typically means that, that whatever crime they committed, they've not been held legally responsible for because of, you know, they didn't understand at the time they committed the crime, what they were doing was wrong or some other mental health issue is what keeps them from, um, from going to like a a, a regular prison. Sure. So she's there for the murder of her father or stepfather who is likely, she says sexually abusing her again. Mm -hmm. We don't really get clarity on that, but she keeps saying that the devil visits her at night. You know, some man is coming into her uh, cell. Fills her with fire. Yeah. Fills her. Exactly. So, so you have Chloe and then obviously when Miranda Halle Berry's character in the beginning of the film uh, meets the, girl on the bridge who seems to also be she bursts into flames yeah so she's kind of she's in like more of a literal purgatory because we know this is the spirit that's trying to guide her Mm -hmm. to like the truth of what's happening and then of course we do see the tattoo later in the film on one of the on one of the villains bodies of the anima soul actually burning um and yeah so i I just think i i like the use of that imagery throughout the film and that different that it applies in kind of different ways to different characters of being these, um, you know, lonely people who have to like figure, you know, who have to like work through this, um, horrifying, uh, realities that they're living in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought that was interesting that, I mean, again, I, I'm not sure how widespread things like these are, because I know there's like different saints and different, but, yeah. but those are also kind of, can be culturally specific, right? It yes. It's not like every Catholic knows about every kind of. Exactly. And it, uh, from what, when it came up in the, in the film, I did like a quick little internet look up and saw that it's something that is 
um, more widely um, known about in like the Catholic traditions in like Latin America yeah. um, and some other um, and some other similar similar uh, cultures. Um, but that's the thing is that like you know stuff like that you know, is the um, kind of Catholic mythology of things. Um, only is only kind of applicable to uh, depending on, on the culture of it too. Cause it's, um, and the idea of like purgatory, right? Like that's the other thing that it's a, it, the, the image itself uh, reveals kind of a very specific view of purgatory, right? right. It's like your um, uh, purgatory is just, it's the midway point between like heaven and hell, right? It's not heaven. It's not hell. You're just kind of stuck there until. Um, and so like the idea that like you're being consumed by flame, you're being surrounded by flame, but not consumed is like terrifying. It's very terrifying. And yeah, um, no, it's a really scary image. Yeah. And that idea that like, you know, the, um, at least from a like a purgatory standpoint is that most people think that like there's just nothing there but this one offers it's like it's actually quite hellish it's the idea that you can still feel the fires of hell but not be consumed by them which is terrifying Whew, yeah it's a it's a very heavy uh <laughs> kind of uh image yeah. and again and it applies to this film you know very sure. well like the horrors of of being a woman <laughs> i think yeah. about our conversation when we had the, about 28 days later like yeah. you know, the horrors of being a woman in the apocalypse well sure. what about just the horrors of being a woman in general you know having something so horrific done to you and you tell people and they don't believe you or worse they do believe you but they yeah. blame you or they you know want mm -hmm. to protect whoever it, it, mm -hmm. it is that is is doing the horrible thing uh, and this movie again, it, it's it's a it's very dark. I mean, when you sit back and you really think about the crimes we're talking about, because you have Miranda Gray murders her husband, and then we find out in watching the movie that he has some you know torture chamber in his like house out in the country that he and his buddy kidnap women and film torturing them. And he says it very early in the film. Either remember when he talks about how he's God, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. which is so interesting because that's what like the murders for him is yeah. about like playing god and you pointed out the defibrillator in the room which is yeah. like they don't use it it's just put there and it gives you that idea of like they want to be able to like if they accidentally like push they want to bring them back so yeah. they can keep torturing them yeah um so it just adds a whole other layer of just like fucked upness and then on top of it the first victim is their friend's daughter the coworker, yeah, the yeah. coworker, yeah. Um, but also, it feels like they're they're they were all friendly together, and they're mm -hmm. like colluding to murder his daughter. I mean, it's just so fucking disturbing. Yeah. And so again, it's this like microcosm. This whole film is a microcosm for like the worlds of women. You know, the imprisonment mm -hmm. of like of the patriarchy, the um, the demands of it, the uh, horrors of it, of being like imprisoned by it. And we're told to like, you know, these are like respectable people. One's a sheriff, you know, we're supposed to yeah. respect that authority. One is, you know, a, a, a brilliant psychiatrist running this, you know, mm -hmm. penitentiary program, you know, for women, you know, ideally to make them better, you know, yeah. to help them work through whatever horror happened to them that made them commit the crime. Sure. 
and all the while they're you know these monsters mm-hmm. and sometimes i wonder if maybe that's even the thing like back when the movie came out like it just seems so like how could these men be so monstrous but yeah. now when we look back 20 years later it's so easy for us now because so many men that yeah. <laughs> you know Every yeah. time something happens, you're like, but everybody likes that guy, you know, or like in in um, Hollywood with the whole thing with like the yeah. Me Too movement and, you know, all of that. It's like, this isn't, these aren't like the paranoid delusions of crazy women, you know, yeah. which has always been used mm-hmm. to belittle women. Like, that's the first thing that they say, oh, mm-hmm. she's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just, it takes on a whole other context in the world we live in now, especially. Yeah. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, because um, we're about 20 years, right, removed from when this film came out. Well, we are, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in November, but. Yeah, but just, I mean, just about. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious as to what, uh, what the cast members would say now about it, right? Mm. Like, we have, um, uh, and what, like, Holly Berry would, would say, too. Um, she's just so good in this. Like, I. Yeah, her and. um and uh, Chloe, Penelope Cruz. yeah, Penelope yeah. Cruz. Like I, I think I told you that, like after that whole scene with that interview with Chloe, I was like, "Damn, this is the best thing that I've seen Penelope <laughs> Cruz do." She just like is so committed to the yeah. role. Um, you know, that's not to say that I didn't love her and other stuff, but like this, no, was I get just, it. Yeah, this yeah. was just like pitch perfect. The kind of. Um, uh, yeah, she tapped madness. into something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I I think about how actors like you know are successful, like when I when I see something that I think is a successful acting gig like this, I'm just mm-hmm. like, wow, what did she reach for for that? Like, mm-hmm. what did she get in mm-hmm. touch with? Because uh, it is so vibrant and and feels very real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So again, you kind of have this whole that whole sort of conversation happening about women and the lives of women and what happens and, you know, how, how, how these stories get told or how we, you know, fight a system that seems, you know, sure. Yeah. Insurmountable. Obviously Halle Berry's got a ghost on her side. <laughs> so yes. it's a, this is obviously a very different, you know, conversation because she, you know, as a supernatural being helping her escape the you know the prison and get to you know the, to unveil everything that happens mm-hmm. um but yeah i've just always really yeah i've always really really liked this um movie for those reasons it does feel very gothic like i said earlier um it does feel very immediate these these are conversations that have not gone away in mm-hmm. the in in the 20 years since it came out and certainly in the hundreds of years before it it existed um so another thing that you know obviously we can talk about in this movie is um the depiction of the cl- of the of the psychiatric penitentiary and uh behavioral health professionals in general sure i wonder (laughs) i wonder joshua who would have the insight into who could we talk to that might have insight about behavioral health professionals um (laughs) is it in the mirror (laughs) in the mirror right yes um so i wanted to talk a little bit about um you know, so how the media, you know, obviously plays a powerful role in our collective consciousness. 
um, television and film. Uh, they unfortunately or fortunately for better or worse play a, a really uh, educational role sure <laughs> in in the lives of of the public of how we interpret things um and so this is a little bit from um just a i'm going to quote myself so what is ah. this um parenthetical Napier comma 2022. <laughs> oh, she is quoting herself. Uh, so this is from a paper I wrote called horror films and con- well, it's actually called children can be nasty conduct disorder and the horror film. Uh, but, uh, the horror genre alone has contributed to some of the most stigmatizing examples that exist on film. This is about the responsibility that media has, uh, for what people believe about mental health and mental illness. Uh, the popular lexicon around mental illness is informed by horror pictures like Psycho and Split, which have given us monstrous depictions of people suffering from dissociative identity disorder, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is an incredibly traumatic uh, condition. And typically, you know, the patients are in far more danger you know, to themselves than they are to others, but that's mm-hmm. generally the truth. Uh, but not only do mental health conditions become warped and twisted to fit a horror narrative, but so do the institutions and professionals working in them. Psychiatric hospitals become darkly lit, unkempt asylums housing the criminally insane and terrible conditions. Psychiatrists and therapists become their own kind of monsters up to suspiciously nefarious schemes. Um, and, you know, creatives say they're, you know, they make harmless entertainment, but uh, there is an effect on audiences' beliefs and what we call mental health literacy. And um, that is their understanding of mental health diagnoses, treatments, and whether or not audiences share similar beliefs to mental health professionals. Uh, spoiler alert, they do not. <laughs> um, so I think what I, why, why I brought this up is because I think in this movie, we kind of see this... Play, it's very dark. It's very dim. The lights flickering on and off. It's like, what kind of place is this that yeah. you all have <laughs> built? It's like the perfect horror movie psychiatric hospital. Sure. sure. Uh, again, I've not been to many prisons, so I'm sure you know. Again, I, I did have to kind of keep reminding myself watching this that it is a that it's a prison. Yeah. But even so, that's kind of the same thing. It's like there are always these you know big scary sorts of places in, in horror movies. Um, so that I, I don't think it's quite believable, obviously. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the big issues that I, I, I think generally, you know, with the, with the movie is kind of that depiction of the, of the hospital is a little like, you know, I mean, again, it's a horror movie. I get yeah. it, but it's yeah. just, it's the, it's, it is, it's the truth. It's like mm-hmm. very disturbing. <laughs> uh, I also think it's, uh, really ridiculous that if she committed a crime that they would put her in the prison that she worked at and then release her into public like gen pop yeah. with people that she treats. That also is utterly ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's the, they, <laughs> she walks into like the, the day room or whatever the fuck, like right. the, the big area. And it's like, that's Dr. Gray. That's Dr. Gray. And I'm like, yeah, she's been like interviewing these people. Yeah. She's the reason why some of them are still locked up or, you know, are, it, it wouldn't make sense, right? And anyone, yeah. I'm surprised we didn't go there with with that storyline of like someone with an with a vendetta against her, like because Chloe is doesn't necessarily. I think they 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 hinted at that a little bit with Chloe's character, yeah. But it's not anything like once she's in there, you you realize that that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the big like 
what? <laughs> that would yeah. never happen. Like they would drive, I mean, they drive people to other cities for mm-hmm. trials by jury where they don't know anybody. They would have put her like somewhere else. Yeah. And I get, they try to kind of just explain it because it's like their friends and her, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s, that's his name, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the Iron Man, you informed me. Uh, <laughs> yes, he he's like you know where um, he. I think he kind of sets it up, but it's very brief. Right when um, right when they meet after yeah. the murder, supposedly, where he's like, "This is a temporary situation while we're they're figuring out like when you're going to go to trial or whatever." Yeah, but they still would have kept her like isolated. Maybe bring her food. Like yeah. you know, they would not release her there. And yeah, the whole thing. It's like. Like, there are codes of ethics. Yeah, because, like, now all these people who just, like, you know, 15 minutes prior in this movie, it's all people she has relationships with. Right. Like, they... That she's over in some way. She's, like, directing them, you know, to do things for her. Exactly. And now she's in a position... And she wasn't, like, mean about it, and it didn't look like she had any enemies, really. And now she's, like, one of the inmates, and they're gonna have, like... Even then, like you, the staff that are working there, you can't switch that off entirely. Like they um, made that nurse Irene, they made her be the one who was the most successful at like you know, wash away your sins. And I was like, yeah, but that's like one of the notes I made. It's like man, they are so comfortable with like subjugating her and like humiliating her. Yeah, like making her get naked in front of and take. I mean, I get it. Like that's like that is the situation. It's a prison, so it's a big open mm-hmm. shower, but. I don't know. I just feel like even if this was the case that we can't put her anywhere else in the whole fucking world, yeah, they would we couldn't still make her go take a shower after that. Exactly, they would have done some kind of accommodations because of just pure safety. Like, I mean, that's yeah. like a lawsuit waiting to happen that I think that she could win. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like very disturbed. Like that. That is the parts of the movie that do sort of like uh, I don't know about this. Uh, there's also a conversation about like, um, competence, which we talked a little bit Mm -hmm. earlier about, but like, that's, you know, that's something else that a lot of movies get wrong. Uh, and even the attorney, like in this movie, he's talking about it and I, I feel like it's in that, that wrong way. So typically if you're declared mentally incompetent, you go to like a psychiatric, hospital instead sometimes it's until you're stable enough to actually stand trial but if you are imprisoned a lot of times that's not a good thing like people are like oh they'll get off on like insanity that's not a thing yeah um and in fact a lot of times you'll probably get way more time in the psychiatric hospital than if you went to prison like just the way that it sometimes works because a lot of times people never get out like you might murder somebody and get out you know in 20 or 30 years depending on the crime and how it's tried you know what how what the actual um you know Mm -hmm. felony is or miss or whatever it is if it was murder versus man's laughter right yes man's laughter exactly (laughs) uh so there's a lot there's a lot, there's almost more like, yeah, there's a better chance that you would get out if you just served a prison sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, yeah, this, you know, what do they call it? You know, hospital for the criminally insane. Like, <laughs> you're probably there for life, uh, most likely. Uh, it's not always, yeah, this idea that people like, oh, I've been declared mentally incompetent to stand trial and I'm just going to go home. That's not what happens. Well, yeah, because that, I think a lot of people that makes you more that dangerous, right? Because you don't know that 
you either don't know or not aware of what it is that you did, why would they put you back on the street, right? Right, yeah. I wouldn't say it necessarily makes you more dangerous, but the system, definitely. Yes, It yes. doesn't make any sense for the system to be like, oh, this person, you know, chops somebody to bits and has no memory of it. So, yeah, let her go home. Like, of course, yeah, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. But I do think a lot of times people, when they discuss it in the media and stuff of like, you know, we can't let them be declared, you know, uh, t- insane because they'll get off. It's like, that's not that's not what will happen. Yeah. No, they'll just be locked up in a hospital for the rest of their life on Haldol or whatever mm. cocktail they're giving her throughout this movie. Um, so that was just another thing that I was like, yeah, that whole conversation is weird because, you know, an attorney should, and she would know as a psychiatrist that yeah. I'm like stuck here. Like, this is not a good situation. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, but back to the uh, yeah, I that the whole stuff with the nurse and all it's just really fucked up because it is. It's almost like they're all like, it just feels like they're like happy, yeah, to like be taking her down and putting her in this situation. It's super gross. It's very very uncomfortable. And there's no hint about that in the beginning, right? Like if there was like a hint of it in the beginning, where you know, there's like maybe she crossed the nurse or something. You know what I mean? Like where there's no hint of it at all. So it makes it surprising and uncomfortable when they're just so willing to let her be this inmate. Yeah. It's just very, very disturbing. Um, you know, and again, that's where like those things, you know, the, the choice to, I, I never read the script, so I don't know. Mm-hmm the choices they made in acting, if that was something from the script or just kind of happened, like they decide to hire Halle Berry. So of course then Halle Berry being a black woman that adds a layer to the conversation when we talk about, and we discussed this a little bit with the girl with all the gifts, Um, you know, but the, um, like the history of, like medical experimentation on black bodies and that sort of thing. So there is a, you know, there are statistics that like, I think it's like 25%. Yeah. 25% of black people seek mental health treatment when needed compared to 40% of white people. Um, You know, so there, there are these disparities and, and, and again, sometimes for good reason, obviously it's not as if the, you know, the mental health psychiatric Mm -hmm. medical community has been all that great. Uh, to to non-white bodies historically. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have that. There is also, there's a lot of racism in, in the decisions that get made. So for instance, uh, one of the things I looked at in, in, the, in the paper that I uh, wrote, see if I can find it. Um, uh, shoot, I wish I would have pulled that up earlier. There was a really good paper written by... Um, Oh, oh, Joe! Why can I never find what I <laughs> what I wanted to find? Oh yeah, here we go. So Courtney Van Hook, he wrote a paper called "Racial Disparity in the Diagnosis of Conduct Disorder," and so mm-hmm. um, African American slash Black youths, in particular, are underdiagnosed with conduct disorder because they are more likely to be sent into the justice system rather than receive therapeutic interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like systemic racism also plays a really big role in, um, 
how people are treated. Uh, that's something that the new DSM, the the text revision that they just released, the um, DSM five TR, it's called, mm-hmm. added all these cultural components and all of these sort of new um, analyses of diagnoses and and how they're applied or not or how they should be considered when we think about the cultural context that a person lives in mm-hmm. or experiences. <clears throat> but still, I think again, if you know, this movie had, I don't know, some other, you know, woman at the, who was famous at the time. I don't know who would have been another 2003 white lady. Anyways, could have been any of them. (laughs) It maybe wouldn't be making exactly the same kind of um, conversation that, that happens here. And so the subjugation of her and the humiliation of her after she had been, you know, kind of in this position of like power and respect it's really gross. Yeah. And then that's echoed when you look at the way that her husband is like subjugating and torturing these other women. It's just this like, Mm -hmm. it's very, the whole movie just has a whole conversation about dehumanizing women, dehumanizing black Mm -hmm. women, you know, in ways that are, that are, that's much more profound. I think if Halle Berry hadn't been the lead. Yes. I think it just adds. And again, and that echoes the conversation we had about, um, the girl with all the gifts that, that choice or all the way back to, um, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Sure. That when you know that that the optics of it matter and add yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Was there any? Uh, there's uh, no way to really like end on like too positive a note. <laughs> yeah. Um, this won't be just for you know for folks out there. The, this is not the last kind of movie where, um, Halle Berry plays someone who is dealing with. Uh, mental illness um, in 2010 she did a movie called Frankie and Alice oh. based on true events about a woman who has DID dissociative identity disorder yeah, yeah, and yeah. one of the identity she's a black woman in like the 60s and then one of the um, identities is like a white racist named Alice huh um, and so I've it's a drama with Stellan Skarsgård with one of our one of the Scandahoovian Baldwins yeah wow so um, I don't know. I it's I had to look it up because I remember her making the rounds in um, like the, the the talk show rounds doing press for it. Uh, but it was like an indie that never really went anywhere. But um, just throwing that out there, if you want to pair this as a Halle Berry double feature. <laughs> I love that. So Halle Berry meets, uh, what was it? It's um, uh, Halle Berry, Stella Skarsgård meets, Halle Berry is a go-go dancer who has dissociative identity disorder. But it's, what's it called again? Uh, uh, Frankie and Alice. Frankie and Alice. So Frankie is the main person. Gothica slash. Yes. <laughs> Frankie and Alice. Okay. That's interesting. I've never heard of that movie. I'll have to look that up too. I just really don't like the fact that they don't tell you what the fuck Gothica is. Uh, like, you know, there's never, there's no satisfaction of like, you know, exposition where, like I was expecting the older doctor, uh, Dr. Parsons, the the one who's, fa- who's uh, the father of Rachel yeah, to be yeah. like, they say that Gothica is this thing, blah, 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 blah. Like to have him be the the character with the exposition, but... Um, we don't get it. And I guess at that time they were just like, you can fucking Google it. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing, like I said, the only thing I can find is it's an unofficial term used to describe a form of purgatorial state of mind, a situation in which someone sees or feels things that no one else does. Mm. And those who don't think those, uh, and those who don't 
think those who can are crazy. Crazy. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it made a whole bunch of money. Made like over $140 million. Uh, but yeah, it was generally panned by critics. Um, again, because they hate women, uh, yeah. especially black women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had... Like, I have no proof of so that, uh, year, that for this particular movie, but I just believe it. <laughs> that year, Halle Berry also was in like X2, X-Men 2. Yeah, she was um, busy. It was the year before Catwoman. Yeah. Um, which she would go on to be like the butt of every joke for the next five years, 10 yeah. years. Um, <sighs> which again, I don't feel is necessarily her fault. No. I, I still don't understand how they fucked that movie up so bad. You know, you have, I mean, at that point, Sharon Stone, like 70 years of Catwoman yeah. mythology to pull from. And you do that shit. It just made no sense to me. Yeah. It was so depressing. It's not the Catwoman film we um, deserved. I also don't think it's really that bad. I mean, if you just kind of separate it from like the Selena Kyle conversation and just kind of take it for what it is, uh, you know, Frances Conroy, she's fun. She's in it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, she's like the cat lady or whatever with the Egyptian Mao or whatever that mm. I think the magic comes from. I, I haven't seen it in a really long time. So I'm not saying it's necessarily a great movie, but I just. You know, I don't know. I think in general, I don't really understand hatred for movies. Like, just, you know, if it's not your thing, just keep it rolling. Like, yeah. who cares? Whatever. If but, it's not your thing, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't really think it was that bad. But, again, I have, I struggle. Because I, like, listen to people talk about something that they really hate. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, I thought it was kind of fun. Or I enjoyed that. Uh, I just think, as a fan of Catwoman, it just wasn't really a Catwoman movie. They could have called it anything else. They could have made up something else and just done their own story. Woman Cat. Right? (laughs) The Woman Cat. Yes. Um, You know, that's... It's just because you just have so much delicious Catwoman history Mm -hmm. to make a film about. And, yeah. It was just a lot of weird choices in that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, again, there is a lot going on. It's a very convoluted kind of story. And there's things that's like, well, yeah, I don't think that would happen in the real world that are, you know, Mm -hmm. that is, I think, a problem just in informing people about what is and isn't, you know, mental health treatment or what it looks like or, you know, other issues. But again, it's also a horror movie. So, and we love to use mental illness and its uh, subsidiaries as, <laughs> as fodder. <laughs> uh, all right, Joe, did you have any other last-minute thoughts? Um, it was a good movie. Well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I am surprised, actually, about how much I enjoyed it, but I did well, enjoy it very much. Well, that makes me happy. I enjoyed it, too. I'm glad we enjoyed it together. Again, would not watch it again That's because okay. of you know how kind of really... Deep, I did not expect it to be that deeply It's disturbing. dark, yeah, yeah. It's At the a end, dark movie. but yeah, it was good. Yeah. Alrighty, well, yay! Alright. Thank you for listening as always, dear, dear listener, and we will see you next week. Bye! Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 